practicing meditation, we're developing the quality of knowing, the one who knows. Bringing our attention inwards, using the breathing to focus our attention. So becoming fully aware of the in-breath from the start to the finish. Fully knowing the out-breath from the start to the finish. even aware of the space between the in-breath and the out-breath and the next in-breath. It's this quality, inner quality of knowing that is so valuable in our path of practice. all the wisdom of the Buddha developed out of this kind of knowing. The knowing of the jitta, or the heart, that which lies at the center of our experience of this body and mind. becoming more and more in touch with the jitta, using the breathing, keeping in touch with it from moment to moment. It's this one who knows the knowing that lies at the center of all of our experience. All the sense impressions we gain moment by moment, day by day, come back down to the mind itself. Seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, smelling internal concepts, ideas, all arise and come back to this one point. We're training to know the mind from moment to moment. This is going against the normal habit of human beings to always let the mind go outwards to know about things in the world through the senses. Because the Buddha in his wisdom saw that 
normally the untrained mind becomes entangled in the world. There's not enough mindfulness, not enough wisdom to prevent that happening. And that entanglement brings suffering. So the mind is constantly experiencing suffering of different kinds. Smaller, minor suffering, sometimes very deep suffering. Everything we get to know through our senses is bringing impressions to the mind. And everything the mind thinks up further affects itself. All our volitions, our thoughts, our moods. If there's no guidance to this, we don't train ourselves to really know what's going on, then we'll keep tending to falling into suffering. We keep making karma and often negative karma, which brings results back to the mind, leaves impressions of suffering and negativity. Even the good karma we're making, the wholesome volitions, still have an effect on the mind, still generate more karma, leave more impressions on the mind. But unless we practice mindfulness of one form or another, we never become aware of this process. We never fully understand where suffering arises or why or how. So we're training in mindfulness, mindfulness of the in-breath and out-breath. Going against the habits and the stream of our normal consciousness, our normal thinking, the normal movements of the mind. Restlessness and agitation, liking and disliking. We're setting that aside, bringing attention to the breath in the present moment. The mind starts to settle down, becomes more steady, more firm. Because of the presence of mindfulness and this quality of knowing. This quality of knowing that arises from within the mind itself, from the jitta being trained in mindfulness. And it has a protective 
aspect to it protects the mind from falling, firstly falling into negative, unwholesome thoughts and volitions, which bring with them agitation, restlessness, and negativity of different kinds. And the presence of mindfulness prevents the, the mind falling into that so it starts to relax and feel peaceful, happy and content within itself. And the more we practice in this way, If we keep practicing, the sense of firmness, steadiness increases, becomes more natural, more automatic for the mind as it practices, becomes easier to achieve through the practice. So we can start to experience a state from time to time maybe where the mind is protected from itself, from its underlying tendencies that when unchecked, unguarded, lead to suffering. It's protected from itself, from the anusaya kilesa, the latent tendencies or proclivities, these underlying deeply embedded habits of the mind that condition the arising of kalesa, greed, anger, delusion and all their offshoots. The state, the firm, steady state of continuous mindfulness is protecting against that the mind becomes wholesome, so it experiences some peace, some inner relaxation from that. It's in a noticeably different state from normal where it's caught into agitated thinking, powered by kilesa, these underlying kilesa. When the mind is more peaceful, then Ajahn Chah compared it to a chicken in its cage, in its coop, can walk around inside, but it's limited by the boundaries of the cage. So it's actually protected, say, from outside harm and danger. It can move around a little bit, but cannot get up to too much mischief or into too much trouble. And this is the mind that has attained some mindfulness, the one who knows is present, observing and protecting and guarding over the mind. So there's enough flexibility and space that the mind can let sense impressions come up maybe 
but the one who knows can see them because they're all coming down to the mind. The one who knows can see the reactions, can see the reactions that start to form you say, unwholesome tendencies that lead to suffering. You can see the causes, the conditions that are creating suffering. Like the chicken in the cage, it can move around enough, but not so much that it gets into trouble. Once the mind is steady and firm like this, it's light, it's relaxed, it's bright. Then sometimes you can trust it to experience sense objects and watch what happens. And you actually can learn where suffering is arising. I see a form. The eyes are open, obviously, if the mind is peaceful, we can sometimes risk opening the eyes. Or when we finish meditation, sitting meditation, or when we're walking meditation, the eyes are open, there's light. There's a sense objects, forms, come to the eyes, come down to the mind. We can observe sanya and vetana arising, the impression what the mind makes out of it, what it creates out of that impression, names it, labels it, perhaps starts to create some liking or aversion for that form. And when the mindfulness of the one who knows is there, we can see that process happening. We can see our old karmic conditioning ripe. The seeds have been sown and it's ripe for kilesa to arise. Some form of attachment, craving and attachment to come up. Liking or disliking. Greed, anger or delusion in one form or another. But if the one who knows is there, it can catch that process as it's happening. It can learn from that, observe what's happening, and learn. And if it's clear enough in its own practice, then it's possible for everything to be in place for kilesa to arise, but it doesn't arise because mindfulness and wisdom is there to counter it, to prevent kilesa arising. Or maybe kilesa just begins to arise, but it's cut off by mindfulness and wisdom, the one who knows. Maybe there's a feeling and some something is made out of the feeling and the sense impression, but there's enough mindfulness not to let it lead to verbalization. So there's a small movement of the mind. But then the mind 
under the guidance of the one who knows, just drops it. Doesn't let it go into mental verbalization, proliferation, agitation. the mind drops it, then it returns to peace and further mindfulness. Returns to that place of mindfulness, that place where it's one-pointedly focused on the breathing. Or if the breath has disappeared at that point where the breath has disappeared, just knowing the mind itself from moment to moment. And we're training the mind like sharpening a blade on a stone and keep rubbing it, becomes more refined, more sharp, more pointed. We keep training the one who knows, keep catching kilesas arising, seeing them for what they are, and quite, willingly and quite contentedly letting them go knowing that they're suffering if the mind grabs hold of them and continues to be proliferated and affected by them As we practice meditation, breathing in, breathing out. And we say we're learning to bring the mind to the place in the middle. Whether it's where it's neither falling into delight or aversion. For the sense impressions that connect it to the world. So we say delight or aversion for the world. Just knowing these things as they are and knowing the waitana that is stimulated by sense impressions or internal memories and ideas. Seeing sanya forming some form or other, some kind of giving importance to that sense impression and the feeling, giving value to it creating a self around it, but then catching it with the one who knows, and dropping it again, letting it go, and seeing it as just a sense impression that arises and passes away without getting involved with it, seeing it as unsatisfactory, unstable, changeable, Seeing it as not self, seeing it as a condition of mind that rises, passes away according to causes. If you just have insight into this once, it can stick in the mind for a long, long, long time. It's like that moment where you click 
you've been learning, trying to learn a skill, and learning to use a sewing machine. It's been very difficult, but then suddenly it clicks and you get the rhythm and the movements of the hand right, and the feeding of the cloth through the machine right, and the speed right. It clicks, and you know what you're doing. Or when you memorize a chant, you've been trying to remember it and then it clicks and it's now fixed in the mind and you know it. Just the same way the one who knows can know Achillesa for what it is, can see Achillesa, see how it forms in the mind, the conditions that support the arising of Achillesa. Catch it see it for what it is and let it go not be full deluded by it not get caught into it or bought, bought into it and every time that happens and the mind returns to a state a state of emptiness an emptiness where both mindfulness and wisdom is present see Kilesa for what it is and then dropping it, letting it go. Returns to this underlying awareness of the one who knows the spaciousness of mind that is not grasping what we call emptiness. Meaning the emptiness of grasping or attachment, emptiness of delusion, emptiness of self, delusion of self. It's not emptiness of wisdom, as Ajahn Chah said. It's the mind that is empty is actually full of wisdom. Meaning that the clarity is so strong, so bright. And the wisdom is so full and complete that it sees the Anicca Dukkha Anatta of Kilesa. It sees the, as if it the footsteps of Kilesa leading up to it arising sees that but then doesn't grab hold of it so it just fades away As we practice Anapanasati, we keep coming to this point where there's just the one who knows catching things and letting go, bringing the mind to equanimity over and over again, bringing it to a state in the middle, neutrality, not getting caught into different moods, not getting caught into mental proliferation. We'll see sometimes that training, that ability is strong, the skill is strong. We've developed it well and then it'll fade again. We're back to as if square one, the mind is thinking all over the place. Pray to its experience of Vaitana, pushed around by Dukkha Vaitana, becoming very 
agitated or depressed, becoming obsessed by Sukhavetana, becoming excited, stimulated, just like a soccer ball being kicked around. The mind gets kicked around by Vetana and the attachment to that and then the proliferation that comes from it. But we have to practice, we have no choice. Especially if you have had some insight into this, you see how the mind is the most valuable thing we have. How can we let it just get kicked around like a soccer ball? In the past we've let it go for so long, we've let it run with sense impressions and the moods of the world and what did it bring us didn't bring us any lasting happiness or peace just took us further and further away from the Dhamma getting us more entangled in the world more confused more prey to kilesas formed out of our experience of Dukkha Sukkha Once we start to develop the one who knows, though, we have a way, a system, a method of actually learning to look after our own mind, our most valuable thing. Then we see the value of all the other aspects of the practice as well, how they affect the mind. We talk about it as the ten paramis sometimes. You see how all these qualities are what? support the mind, nourish the mind, feed the mind and keep it peaceful and bright. Support the arising of insight. But all the paramis working together help that. The value of dana barami, sila barami, nekama barami. Kanti barami, viriya barami, panya barami, satcha, aditana, metta, upeka, all the baramis are supportive of this practice of developing the one who knows. The one who knows appreciates their roles as well, sees the value of developing them. See, as our wisdom parami develops, we see the value of sila in supporting our practice. We see how sila restrains the mind from this tendency to go out and get entangled with the world. We're restraining our speech, restraining our actions. We can keep the mind more peaceful, limit its activity and develop more of a sense of inner composure and restraint. See the value of the Vinaya and the precepts. This is something, because it's based on wisdom, it's inner inner knowing, based on the one who knows. It's not just based on fashion or the values, cultural values of the world, which may be right or may be wrong. It's inner knowing based on wisdom and the one who knows. One actually knows and sees for oneself without doubt. One knows that it's correct and supportive of the practice to keep sila.
One doesn't doubt that. One sees the value of nekama, your renunciation of constantly seeking sense pleasure. One sees the value of dana, the wholesome dhammas that come from generosity and service. One sees the value of kanti, endurance and patience, sense of bearing with the difficulties of training the mind when it is caught into kilesa, learning to restrain it, re-establish the one who knows. Even when things seem really difficult, it sees the value of just bearing with it, going through that till one gets back a more steady state of mind. One sees the value of satya aditana is the resolution that can bring the mind to attend to the Dhamma, point it points the mind to the Dhamma, to the truth. When we practice determined resolution of such aditana, we can burn off many kalesas, seeing them as just impermanent things arising, passing away, not being swayed from our practice or from our goal. See the practice of metta and karuna, how it underlies like dana, and the wholesome dhammas that support the arising of the one who knows supports keeping the one who knows in mind. This quality of inner knowing has to be supported by metta, a sense of well-being and well-wishing for oneself and for others. Based on an understanding of the value of the mind and training the mind, not just getting caught up into the superficial nature of the world, going out to sense impressions and the objects of the world all the time. A true metta is seeing the value of training the heart, freeing it from greed, hatred and delusion, and then seeing that in others as well. Seeing the value of one's own mind, the value of others and people's minds. Seeing that the mind itself is what defines our happiness and suffering. As a human being, we have a mind that can be trained. But as human beings, we don't all train it because we don't all have the wisdom or the barami to see the value of that. When we develop metta and karuna and the brahma-viharas, we're seeing the value of the spiritual path for helping us and for helping others. You can see that the mind of a true human being is a manusa. Manusa means that one with a high mind, a higher mind. One can have a human body, but sometimes the mind can go low when it gets caught into unwholesome states. Become the mind, the manusa dirachano, the mind of an animal, 
even though the body is the body of a human. Or the mind, the manusa, mind of a manusa can go higher, manusa devo, the mind of a devata, where hiriotapa is established, sense of restraint and shyness to do any kind of evil, or even have an evil thought so established that the mind just won't indulge in evil thought, evil action. In true metta is where we're developing the, these inner qualities, the one who knows, and training the mind to free it from suffering and also to understand that it's in the interests of others to free themselves from suffering and wishing to help them free them from suffering. But ultimately, upeka barami, the hardest to develop perhaps. And a perfect equanimity towards one's own suffering, towards others' suffering, understanding of karma, and then this quality of mindfulness, the one who knows, not to let the suffering we're experiencing as vibhaka karma, as our resultant karma, sway us from the path, make us give up, make us fall into wrong behavior, into unwholesome thoughts, speech, action. In great equanimity towards all formations, physical, mental, ultimately the upeka based on seeing the anicca dukkha anatta of the kandas. No longer taking this body and mind as a self, no, no longer believing in a self as a fixed idea. Having enough mindfulness is the one who knows to be equanimous towards the candors. And see them as a Nietzsche. And if their conditions that arise pass away, whatever is subject to arising, subject to cessation, every volition we have, however refined superior, peaceful, refined, is still a volition, a thought, a mental state. This body is a formation, developing equanimity towards the body and all the weight in it brings us. Just seeing it for what it is, knowing it for what it is with the one who knows, knowing the body is impermanent subject to aging, old age, sickness and death, inescapable truths, not letting the mind get swayed by that, just knowing that's the way of the body. When the body stops functioning, then the other candors break up, so they're all in, impermanent as well. They can't be sustained without a body, body they break up, even though the power of karma leads the jitter to be reborn take on future births. The candors themselves arise, pass away, and there's nothing in there to be grasped at. So all these parameters we're developing, these support the practice, and they all arise out of the one who knows that we're training as we train in mindfulness of breathing. 
developing wiriya, and learning how to keep coming up, bringing up energy in the practice, keep coming back to it. Wiriya sounds active, it doesn't always mean being active physically, it can mean just putting effort, effort, energy into a posture, learning to sit still, not wriggle around, move around when you're meditating. Wiriya can be sitting still, setting yourself a target, say I'm going to sit still without moving for half an hour, for an hour, for two hours, three hours. Bringing up the mindfulness to complete that task with the other paramis as well. Wiriya to bring up the effort to bring up mindfulness, say when you're sleepy, first thing in the morning or last thing at night. Wiriya to get up or to keep practicing when you're a bit tired but could go on a bit longer. Wiriya to pull your mind away from distraction when you just want to seek distraction, don't want to practice mindfulness because it seems too boring or difficult. All the paramis are tools for us to develop and when they become parami, they become something inside the mind. They become ingrained, wholesome tendencies, wholesome qualities that help us to manage and actually abandon the defilements. If we don't develop any parami, then the kilesa naturally will keep growing, becoming stronger, more natural for us to follow the Kalesas and to follow the Paramis. The practice is very much a battle, a competition between the Kalesa and the Parami, the Kalesa and the one who knows. So tonight is our Pawarana night also, it's the last night of the Vasa. And we practice or join in the uh, Sangakama of Pawarana, formal offering ourselves for admonition, giving and receiving admonition underlying skillful living as a community, giving a good model for all of society, understanding that we all have our kilesas and our habits, our character traits, which are not all always in line with each other, can affect each other in different ways. We're not all perfect. It's that willingness, understanding to drop one's ego a little bit. Sometimes to admit faults and weaknesses. Sometimes things need to be said, if it may not be tonight, but it's an attitude one develops in the spiritual, the holy life, that one sometimes has to be able to listen to others, let them communicate what they need to to us. Sometimes we have to communicate what we have to to others so that there's no suppressed bad feeling or 
disharmony, disquiet in our own minds that needs to be addressed. Leaving it unaddressed can be an obstacle in the practice as well, especially if we leave each other and separate. It's not good to separate with bad feeling or sense of disharmony. It's a very skillful karmic tool that the Buddha gave us to end the vasa, performing the pawarana, and as a good example to the lay community, how to live skillfully, say, as a family or in society. So in a few moments we'll be doing that. So I wish you all well in your practice. We've completed this year's Vasa and we can carry on practicing after the Vasa just as inside the Vasa. In the end, no real difference. The basics, the principles of practice remain just the same. So I'll leave the uh, talk here and leave these words with you for your reflection. <laughs>